Join Jane with her amazing live band as she takes you on a musical journey through a world of songs, from Broadway to cabaret to the just plain silly. Hello everyone, this is John Moore for the DCPA's News Center, and welcome to episode number 171 of Running Lines, our regular series of conversations with interesting peeps from the Colorado and national theater communities. Today I'm a little bit frightened, frankly, to be speaking by phone with actor, comedian, and singer Jane Lynch, who created the iconic character of the maniacal yet melodic principal, Sue Sylvester on Glee, which airs its final episode on March 20th. In the meantime, Lynch will be spreading her own brand of Valentine's love here in Denver with her one-night-only anti-cabaret show titled See Jane Sing. That's an evening of musical comedy, wit, and the occasional show tune at 8 p.m. Saturday, February 14th at the L.A. Calkins Opera House. Hi, John. Hi, Jane. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for making some time. Sure. Maybe we could start by talking about your show. Tell me a little bit about the evolution from the, the Mighty Wind days to doing a live show in front of 3,000 people. Well, you know, I haven't been on um, stage probably since we toured yeah. with the Mighty Wind. I, ha- I haven't really done a show. This kind of came out of the blue, the request to do this show. I had done Annie on Broadway the summer before, so I guess that was the first time I'd been on stage in a long time. And the people at 54 Below uh, just asked me the next summer if I would like four nights uh, at their place to do a cabaret show. And I said yes, and I didn't have a cabaret show, but I, I, I took some time and made one. And I enjoyed doing it and really loved it. So that's kind of how this tour became a reality for me. And we just basically picked up that show and we've been taking it around the country. We have a beautiful five-piece band. And they're fantastic. It's the Tony Guerrero uh, Quintet and myself. And Tim Davis has joined us, too. Tim is a wonderful singer and vocal arranger. He's the guy who does all the arrangements, I believe. What kind of an evening do we have when we spend Valentine's Day with Jane Lynch? Well, we're going we're gonna to kick it off with some romantic singing. Uh, Tim is my opener. He's probably going to do a couple of numbers. And, and he's kind of along the lines of, uh, he's a crooner, so he'll do some pretty love songs, I'm sure, yeah. uh, with, a, with, a, with a swing, because uh, that band is really hot and swings. But the show is basically, you know, a bunch of music of, uh, over many different styles. And my friend Kate Flannery, who played Meredith in The Office, um, uh, uh, so joins me in a few of them, and she's hilarious as well, and Tim is great. And, you know, we have some three-part harmony things. We have some acapella stuff. And there's, of course, hopefully some funny banter in between. And uh, so it's a lot of fun. It's like I have this one song by Irving Berlin called Mr. Monotony, and most people don't know. They know Irving Berlin, but they don't know Mr. Monotony. Right. A bunch of songs like that. Like, you might not know them, but as soon as you hear them, you go, oh, I love this song. And then we have to also have some standards in there, too. So tell us a little bit about your musical background and how that sort of fits into your overall voix. You know, I don't have any musical training, per se. But I come from a family who loves to sing. None of us were professional, you know, just sitting around the kitchen table and singing and watching musicals together. I didn't go to school for it. Uh, I went to school for acting, but I always loved doing musicals. And uh, I done a lot of sketch comedy, and I almost always include a song. I had a one-person show about 12 or 13 years ago, and I always try to find an excuse to sing. I don't know if you know this or not, but it was all, it was about this time a year ago when Matthew Morrison came to the Denver Center and he performed as the big fundraiser oh. for arts education here. It was one of those things that raised like $800,000 for arts education in one night. Oh, my gosh. 
Bravo, Matthew. He, yeah, it was, it was a great night at the Denver Center. Here you here you are. You want to throw down at all? <laughs> no, no. You know what I will say is Matt's been my mentor in this whole process. Because yeah. he's been doing this now for a couple of years. And he's just helped me in, in ways I can't even explain. In fact, uh, my first show at Pitch for Below, he came up and sang a song with me. Yeah, he's been a valuable resource and uh, source of support for me in doing this. He's been great. What was it like for you when you finally got to realize your Broadway dream to play Miss Hannigan? Oh, it was amazing. You know, and I thank Lee so much for that. I don't think that people at Annie would know who Jane Lynch was if it weren't for the fact that I had been on Glee for several years. And, you know, I, that was kind of handed to me. It was like a gift, all gift wrapped and said, here for you. And I loved it and appreciated it, and I want to go back. I want to do more theater. Nice. All right, I'm going to throw a wild card at you. A couple of local connections. The first time that you did the Do Something Awards. Yeah. Celebrating the achievements of Americans under the age of 25. That first year that you did it, a young girl named Jessica Posner, who built a school for girls in Kenya's mm-hmm. largest slum, was from Denver. And I got asked, why was it important for you to take on the Do Something Awards as something that you wanted to have something to do with? Because these people needed to have a light shown on them. Because I know she didn't do it to have a light shown on her. I know she did it because it um, helped girls in a, in a horrible situation and made it much better for them and gave them opportunities with opening their minds. And so I felt it's our job to go, you know, there's some things happening here by this generation that will become the most, uh, you know, the, the operative generation for um, the next you know, several decades um, are doing some really awesome things. So I was really glad to be on board to do that. I did it two years in a row, and it was really moving and very heartening. The other local person who we know and love here in Denver is Melissa Benoist. Oh, yeah. I know that was only for a short time, but what were your experiences like working with her? Oh, she's great. She's a pro. She's so beautiful. And I wish she sang more solos because her, her solo voice is just awesome. And she did, remember Wrecking Ball? She did a great job with Wrecking Ball. And I just saw her in Whiplash. She was terrific. Really beautiful work. I know some people were wondering with the last season of Glee having just started is what, what happened to all those kids. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> you know, they they say they transferred or something. You know, it's who knows. Oh, I, oh, I guess yeah. But back to your singing. I know that you've said before two of your favorite guest stars on the show have been Olivia Newton-John and Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. They're such wonderful women, but so different. Why Olivia Newton-John and Carol Burnett? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, they are completely different. Well, Carol, because of the comedy, and I watched the Carol Burnett show every Saturday night, and although I didn't know this consciously, um, I was basically figuring out at the time, you know, planting my little seeds in my head, that this is what I wanted to do, you know. And I ended up doing sketch comedy for a long time. And uh, just the, ca- the characters that she created, um, I think that she was probably my biggest teacher. She always made huge choices, but she always grounded them in reality. They never looked false. And then uh, Living It and John uh, came to my consciousness with that song, I Honestly Love You. And that song, for some reason, every time I heard it, I would cry. It just it, it just broke my little 14-year-old heart. And I became kind of obsessed with her, kind of a crush or a rock star obsession. But I felt like she was probably a wonderful person, too. I just had a sense about her. And about Carol, too. I had a sense that she was just a wonderful person. And, indeed, I was not disappointed on, on other accounts. So that would have been a perfect song for the Glee kids to be singing last week during the Sylvester's secret file of songs that make, yeah. her, make her weak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they should. Well, they didn't. You know, I, I, I told them you should have asked 
instead of coming <laughs> making them up yourself. You should have asked me. That would have definitely been there. Seasons in the Sun, you know that song? Yes. That used to make me cry. And then Eric Clapton's Would You Know Me in Heaven. I think that would go too far, though. Yeah. That, that, that would go too far. But that song, too, I can't listen to that without falling apart. Well, I hate yeah. to ask you the same question you've been asked a hundred times, but it is wrapping up, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the opportunity to just create this wholly original, horrible character in Sylvester that's yeah. unprecedented in television history. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I get part. it. I get that. Yeah, I know the, I know the, the television history, the iconic thing. That that, okay. um, legendary. I think you said legendary. I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah, I'll be superlative. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know that I was really handed an opportunity of a lifetime, and I know that I stepped up, so I feel good about that. Um, I enjoyed it so much. I continue to enjoy it. Matt and I were doing a scene yesterday, and we were laughing so hard. And he, he looked up. He said, seven years. I can't. I still cannot get over how much fun this is." And we, because we have a, our scenes together, are so insane. Yeah. And so he's he's so good, and I'm so bad. At it. <laughs> you know, but from the moment I saw Kurt's macho dad say that he loved his son in that first season, and the football uh-huh. star becomes his best friend, you know that that this is that the creators of the show uh, take full advantage of the opportunity to kind of use TV to imagine a world that's more like someplace we might like it to be. Yeah. And then maybe the world sort of becomes more like that because... I think so. I God, you put it so well, I'm going to probably rip you off. Um, Please rip me off. That next interview. <laughs> they, they presented a world that we all wish we could live in. Not all of us, obviously, because there are people who don't want to live in that world. But I think when you do put that on television, you make it possible because you give people a model for what could be. And maybe there's a father out there who's not necessarily watching Believe, but maybe caught that moment yeah. and went, you know, I, I could do that. I could do that. I could step up to that. Yeah, and I know this isn't just about Glee, but does it, how does it make you feel knowing that really no kid will ever grow up again saying they never really had positive gay role models in pop culture? I know, and God bless Ryan Murphy and Chris Pulver for that. Chris was very, very instrumental in every, where every place his character went. You know, he was uh, he if he had a problem with something, he would get on the phone and they would fix it. Um, and one of the things Kurt and Ryan both said. We don't want Kurt to be a victim ever. He's never unempowered. He's always going to stand up for himself. I know. We're, I know we're coming up right against time, but I've been threatened within an inch of my life if I don't ask you your favorite role in a Christopher Guest film. Oh, that would be hard to say, but I will say that Lori Boner was almost everything to me <laughs> in a mighty way. Uh, she sang. She was in porno. She had a was married to John Michael Higgins. Uh, she had a fake tan um, and uh, said ridiculous things and worshipped color. What more could you ask for? <laughs> I feel like we should end on that, but um, <laughs> I, I, but, but I want to bring it back to your show and ask you why 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 do you, what do you want to tell people in terms of why uh, spending Valentine's Day evening with you is the perfect way to spend Valentine's Day. Well, I think what's great about it is it's you're going to laugh a lot, and it's going to be fun. And the music, I think, is great. There's some love songs in there. But also, I think, as an added bonus for people to come, I do this love song medley about how um, the pop song is uh, basically responsible for unhealthy relationships yeah. and unattainable desire and unattainable dreams. But it's a lot of fun as you kind of go through all these songs and you listen to what 
you know, like I can't live without you, that kind of stuff, yeah. um, and how unhealthy that is. And so we're going to do a very tender, moving, uh, sentimental uh, ode to the destructive nature of love songs. <laughs> I love it. I would love to pick your brain more about your Steppenwolf years, all that other stuff, but I know that we're against time, so I'm just going to say it's a real thrill to be able to talk to you. Uh, Thanks. It's been the best interview of the morning, so thank you. Well, thanks. I'll keep that on tape for a while, too. I'll steal that. Yeah, do. You can steal the other thing. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. Have a great day. You too, honey. Thanks again. I want to thank Jane Lynch for making some time with us and remind listeners that Jane will be performing See Jane Sing at 8 p.m. Saturday, February 14th, that's Valentine's Day, at the Ellie Cockins Opera House in the Denver Performing Arts Complex. Call 303-893-4100 or go to www.denvercenter.org. Thanks again for listening in and join us again for our next episode of Running Lines.